welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 86. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fifth season. Woohoo! Made it season five. Uh, Redemption 2, Darmok, and Ensign Row. Here we go. Redemption Part 2, Season 5, Episode 1, Production Number 201, Original Air Date, September 23rd, 1991, Directed by David Carson, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Robert O'Reilly as Galron, Tony Todd as Kern, Barbara March as Lursa, Gwyneth Walsh as Bator, J.D. Cullum as Tural, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, Nicholas Kepros as Movar, Denise Crosby as Selah, Michael G. Haggerty as Larg, Fran Bennett as Shanti, Kalmini as Miles O'Brien, Timothy Carhart as Christopher Hobson, Jordan Lund as Kolg, Stephen James Carver as Hector Helmsman, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. At the close of last season, Worf resigned his Starfleet commission to join the Klingon Council Army as civil war divided his people. Despite his sympathy for Picard refused to involve the Enterprise in the internal Klingon struggle. Yet, fearing that the Romulans are secretly supporting the subversive Duras family in the hopes of destroying the Klingon alliance with the Federation, Picard convinces the head of Starfleet to initiate a blockade against the Romulan Empire. You're a fellow officer, and I respect that, but no one would suggest that a Klingon would be a good ship's counselor, that a Borellian could be an engineer. They're just not suited for those positions. By the same token, I don't think an android is a good choice to be captain. I understand your concerns. Request denied. Redemption 2. Mr. Caesar, kick us off on Next Gen's fifth season. Yay, season five. Um, I think we all enjoyed, when we talked last, we all enjoyed um, Redemption Part 1. We all enjoy these um, Klingon episodes where we get to learn more about the intricacies and politics of Klingons and what goes on there. And um, this just, you know, this is the second part to the episode that we liked last time. Um, there's a little more action in this episode. It's a little faster paced than I think the first one was. Um, so to me, it's a little more entertaining just because there's more action going on. There was a lot of setup in the last episode. Um, here we get to see, um, see it all unfold. It was cool. You know, I, I've almost, I've heard other people talk about this too, and I, I do kind of feel like a couple of these storylines, like the Data storyline, for example, I like it so much, I want more of it, and maybe that's just, maybe it's because I'm getting just the right amount, maybe if I got more, I would, then I wouldn't like it, but call me fickle, I don't know, but <laughs> I do really, really enjoy some of that stuff, you know, and even then, like, you know, and the Romulan stuff is cool, and the Klingon stuff is cool, um, but... I do. I guess it's coming off like a complaint. I don't really. I don't really mean it that way. I think I mean it more as a compliment. But I like these storylines so much. I almost think they could have, you know, been solo, like whole episodes, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, um, certainly the Klingon stuff. It feels like, like Redemption One feels like the Klingon episode. Redemption Two feels like Klingons are one of multiple stories. Yeah. You know. I'd agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, I kind of come into it, and it takes me a it takes me a little bit to remember all the elements. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, you come out of the part one, and it's like, oh, Selah, the big reveal, and this whole thing with Worf, and he's resigned, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get into the second part, and then once it's going, it's like, oh yeah, it's the one where Data takes command of a ship and yeah. um, has a big argument with the guy. You know, that's what I remember most. I think. <laughs> Well, let's talk about because we haven't talked that much about Sila, um, because in a, in a way it's 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 fair to do so now because now <laughs> is when they actually explain where she came from. Uh, in my notes, I wrote Sila explains her history. WTF? <laughs> uh, uh, do you remember this as being like, are you guys crazy? Now, if you, if people that don't know. This storyline was the way she was getting onto the show was kind of um, Crosby's idea, I think, because she had she enjoyed coming back for yesterday's Enterprise so much. Then she kind of came up with this idea that that since it was only 23 years, the perfect amount of time, 23 years back, that her you know um, Yar and Castillo could have had a baby. So it would have just been human, but I think it was the Next Gen writers that that came up with the idea of of you know, making her half Romulan with like a, you know, as a Yar was a consort, so the Romulan general or whoever it was, uh, was the actual, her actual father. And then, of course, that gives her the sinister edge of she wants to be all Romulan, basically. <laughs> At any rate, um, do you guys, did you guys think this is absolutely nuts at the time? Do you think it's crazy still is it just business as usual on this show i don't know i uh, uh oh, i'm sorry go ahead go ahead you you, you got a word out first uh, <laughs> <laughs> i uh i um at the time i just enjoyed it because it was continuity stuff you know i mean it just anything that's like oh you know connecting episodes together and the, the canon of the show i enjoyed it just for that fact you know i thought that that was in itself cool i don't i don't dislike it now i do think that it borders on the convoluted in the sense that um anything that you have to just kind of have a big you know descriptor and narrative discussion about just to explain why is it that i'm here and i look like this just for everybody when you have to do too much of that I don't know. It, it kind of does. It does kind of detract a bit, perhaps. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember having a problem with it at the time, and I definitely don't have a problem with it now. I think between then and now, we've gotten a lot of different time scenario shows, and we've been inundated with it mm -hmm. left and right. You know, I mean, you know, the current Star Trek series is playing around with this. Um, I don't know. I kind of think this is this was a. Uh, I'm I'm with Steve. I like how they interconnected the the two episodes and that storyline, and I thought it was a cr a subtle and creative way to kind of do it. It wasn't in your face, so to speak. Um, so I I think it, you know it's more of like a backstory. And if you you know you watch the if you watch the whole series, then you you kind of get what they're doing. Um, if you just kind of came in later on, um, you'd probably be like, going, what the hell's going on? So well, I wonder if. <sighs> They could have done a, not last time on Star Trek The Next Generation, but just a previously on Star Trek The Next Generation. Talking mm. um, like Battlestar did and stuff. Yeah, yeah because, yeah, and I'm not, you're right, absolutely, Battlestar is exactly what they did. I was thinking of it today because I'm, I'm, um, I'm uh, kind of watching the Veronica Mars series, which mm. I didn't watch at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm, like, I'm like in season three now, and they're constantly like just picking up one tiny little story thread from you know, a whole season back. So they'll just give you a previously a few seconds from that episode just to mm -hmm. remind you. So it's right. not like this is what happened on the last episode. It's like this is this one little thing that maybe you missed. 
Um, they could have done that and saved yeah. themselves the entire scene of Sila's explanation. However, or at least got it down to a few seconds instead of a few minutes. However, I think at the time they were very, very, very extremely hesitant to do anything mm-hmm. remotely resembling that. Yeah. Um, they really didn't want to alienate people. And, and folks, this is 1991. Uh, season five of Next Gen, as it's kicking off, this is the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but still, 1991. This is like you know, this is uh, as about as mm-hmm. as um, uh, story arc and continuity as they get. Mm-hmm. You know, you could make the argument this is a part three in the three parter or of of Worf's family story, um, but I think that. If they were making it today, then they we would not have had a whatever that was five minute scene with her explaining it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, I would definitely say. So yeah, maybe that makes it feel a little dated. I guess is my point. Sorry. I was gonna say I would definitely agree with you. Like, like this storyline and so the, the 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 episode where Tasha's sent back and then War Sword, they're definitely combined in this episode. So um, I just don't think they were making previews like that. I mean, you know, like teasers, you know. They didn't mm-hmm. do them like that back then, so that's kind of the evolution. I, I agree. I kind of like it better because then you go back and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Obviously, we probably watched this episode what like two months ago, so it's more fresh in our minds. The previous episode, that is. Oh, you mean yesterday's Enterprise? Yesterday's Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, one of the things you just made me think of. Um, this is another example of. Of why the first time I saw J.J. Abrams Star Trek, it was so painful, and not because it was bad. That's not at all what I mean. But we've talked about this. I know. I know. I bring this up a lot. We talked about it at Infinite. But you know, in the J.J. verse, the explanation is there are multiple universes. They subscribe to that, admittedly more contemporary view of time travel. Um, everything that can happen happens, and then for every one of those possibilities, there's a different universe. Uh, but this is a perfect example of how Star Trek defines it as there is only one. Because they went back in time and they were in this universe. That This universe was corrected in yesterday's Enterprise. And this is, this is where Yar popped out a baby. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like Sela grew up in some other universe, which would, which would make sense. With the, it, it's, all, it's, it's more like these two theories are mutually exclusive. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So if, if uh, Abrams is the way we're looking at it, then it breaks all of the other time travel stories. And this is a perfect example of the story that it would break. Um, you know, and that's how, I, that's why it was so hard because, um, that's not how I enjoy my Star Trek. I want, and, one, and, I want one universe. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a moment, just to bring up a point. And it's a little bit, a matter of perspective, you know, because like, let's say that, um, the current universe, or whatever you want to call it, uh, we're going to base it around the time of the Enterprise C, and say that going, you know, hypothetically going forward, we knew that um, there was no C law and all this kind of stuff. And that's just a minor point, you know, not like the big changes they did in J.J. Abrams' thing, but say that was the point we were at, and we knew the future, kind of like in the way Next Gen is to the original series, or something like that nature, and then they pulled this thing. Seelock or um, Yar comes back on you know in time and uh, you know all that thing. So it's almost it's almost like the point in time in which it occurs and how 
timelines alter. But as you said, since our basis point is in this, you know, current, you know, in the in the Enterprise D era, you know, we can accept it all as one thing. Versus when J.J. Abrams, we have to like we have to think in terms of okay, well, there's this timeline, this term timeline, and so on. Well, it makes sense because if you take it too far, it wouldn't be any fun to watch. Yeah. You're like, which show am I watching today? Right. You know, <laughs> what uh, is this the one where Yar is still on the ship, or yeah. I don't know, is this the one where you know Wesley's still there, or is this the one where uh, Riker took over because Picard died? <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. Like, when you when you get too far into a multiverse, it it makes a canon a moot point at some point because when anything's yeah. possible, there what what is what is canon? You know. Well, don't they do that? Um, I think it's in the six. Isn't there an episode where Worf is like flipping from different yeah. timelines or dimensions? Yeah, and yeah, then they have that still, scene. Yeah, I know. Anchored. I know. We're still yeah, anchored to the same one. We get back to you know. It's not yeah. like he permanently resides in. Yeah. But I'm, my point being is that would probably be the closest that they've gone crazy with different dimensions and timelines and that sort of thing. But yeah. you're right; they're still anchored back. Um, yeah, JJ um, will really be produced Fringe, and if either of you watched that whole series, it was it was you had to really keep track of what timeline they were on each episode in dimension. It was just they were all over the place. So that's just JJ's style. Yeah, I need to I need to try that show again. I kind of I gave up on it awful quickly, but um, well, you, it kind of went crazy there in the last season. So don't feel bad if you don't get to hmm. it. Well. Um, let's talk about, uh, yeah, so I feel a little bit like Worf, Worf's storyline gets a little bit shortchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I don't feel like it gets shortchanged. It's just there's so much going on in this episode that, mm-hmm. right. know, what are they going to do? Uh, I do like, you know, at the very end with Worf, uh, how he gets back onto the Enterprise. It's a very simple, very quick thing. Worf, it's, they give him a... A moment where he he makes a decision as Worf, not as Klingon or what is he thinks he's supposed to do, but what he feels is the right thing to do, even though that is not the Klingon call. Uh, and just like you know, Kern says it's the Klingon way, and he says it is not my way. That's why I've got to go back to the Enterprise. You know, I like that. Um, and like Steve, you mentioned a lot this this idea of serving two masters, but. Um, Here's one of those times where I don't think I don't think duty clouds it for him in the least. I think this is all about what he feels is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and because he knows that that also happens to align with what Starfleet is all about, it illuminates to him um, that, like it or not, better or worse, he is a Starfleet officer and not a Klingon officer. You know, mm-hmm. well, he always he he has his own thing. I mean, he's you know he struggles between those two worlds, and we talked about that, and we covered DS9 as well. But it really comes down to it's it's his thing. You can't define it as Federation or Klingon or whatever. It's mm. it just depends on the episode, you know. Yeah, we we definitely see in this episode, you know, Worf with Kling, that he doesn't even really fit in with Klingons. You know, they're partying, yeah. having drinking, having a good time, and he's you know. He's in this serious wharf mode, and this is, I believe, this is the first time we've actually got to see him interact on a large scale with other Klingons. And you get that point that Guinan was making in um, episode one that you know he doesn't laugh or do things like Klingons, and so we get to see that in full display in this episode. How he's very much different from 
his Klingon fellow Klingons. Well, it's nice that you know. If, again, you think about that DS9 arc. By the time it's over, he's obviously a lot more comfortable. Yes. You know, with himself, mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah, he's not more comfortable yeah. with his human side or more Klingon side. He's comfortable with who he is. Yeah, with who he is, back. and then also being himself around Klingons and still and fitting in. You know, and, right. he, and he does not sticking out. I mean, by the end of DS9, he's isn't he going off to be ambassador? Uh, like ambassador? To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, so, okay, so the, uh, um, the other storyline here is the data story. I guess we kind of mentioned it. There's not, I guess there's not a lot to it. It's, it's, it's just fun, you know. It's just this, I, I even like not just, not just the, the sections that he's on the ship, but I love the, the quick little interaction between him and Picard when he's like, mm-hmm. you know, why didn't you give me a command? And, and, and then he starts saying, if you think that an android isn't ready, and Picard's just immediately like, uh, I think you need to once you command this ship, whatever ship the Sutherland I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great little moment, and it's um, it's all you need. Um, but then of course we get all the great stuff on the ship too, which is just so fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so the one thing I guess we should talk about is I never I've I've heard other people complain that he he seems like he's being emotional. I've never thought that not once ever. Like when he shouts at um, what's his name Kobe I forget. Uh, Chris Christopher Hobson Hobbs Hobson right when he shouts at Hobson to just do it or whatever about firing I've never thought that once ever it just seemed like he was he was emulating um, yeah. the action which he saw get the reaction he needs out of a crewman yeah you know yeah I his agree. frame of reference is Captain Picard <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> that's it um, so that's well, yeah, yeah. About, I guess it doesn't bother you, ever never bothered you guys huh no 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 I look at you know Dave. David Data has, um, you know, we've seen him act and stuff like that. So he's definitely capable of acting like somebody that he's not. And so I think that's what he uses in situations like that. And you know, if you if you notice, he goes back to being Data like like that. You know, where somebody who was really emotional and passionate would you would still see them mad two minutes later. Data's he turns it on and turns it off. Yeah. Um. Do you think? I mean, I don't know. I was kind of thinking if they. I would kind of felt like the same way you did, Brian. If they should have, if this storyline would have been better as its own um, episode by itself, and maybe not in this episode, because at least, like you said, there was a lot going on. If we were going to sit here and second guess how they produce these shows, would you like to see the whole a whole episode based on that storyline? I think that you could have. I th- I think pulling that one storyline out and having just doing the Romulan and the Klingon stuff would have been an entirely satisfactory episode. And then maybe maybe you could have done a whole episode with um, Data getting his first real command and encountering prejudice. Prejudice. Um, I think you could have done that. I I don't know. I mean, I'm not a writer on the show. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong there. Like I said, maybe I'm just just wistful thinking. Maybe it wouldn't really have held up its own storyline. But I think it would have. Yeah, depends on the B story, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, that's another thing we've talked about too, but I wonder, you know, so many of our favorite shows are the ones that are those rare ones that don't even have B stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or if it does have a B story that it's completely 100% backing up the A. I think we're going to talk about that with Darmok. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, we're really running behind on this one. Uh, what's this episode about? Um, finding yourself, duty honor you know it's war, this, is the, war yeah, this is the episode where that's you can say that's about war wharf gets a backpack and he starts hopping the trains in europe and stays at the <laughs> youth hostels <laughs> 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 uh, 
Well, it's kind of a common thread with Data, too. He kind of had to find himself when he took this command. Um, yeah. So you could throw that in there with him. I don't know. What do you got, Steve? Yeah, I, I, I agree with those things. I think it's, it's one uh, drawback of when you do have a number of storylines going on at once, it becomes more difficult to find that commonality or, or, or discuss what is this one episode about, you know, especially when it's, you know, when, when it's a two-parter on top of it, it's even harder, you know, because we're continuing off the other one. We've got three different things at least going on. And uh, yeah, I would agree that there, there are those, there's elements that you spoke of, but it does get watered down a bit, in my opinion, because of all the things going on at once. I think there's some stuff in here about, you know, the strength of your resolve and, you know, what it can, how it can define your character. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you see, we haven't mentioned much about Picard here, but he actually, certainly you can talk about data supporting that and Worf, what Mm -hmm. I just said, but even Picard, who we haven't talked about much here, but when you think about it, how, I mean, what a huge deal. He says, yes, you know, Starfleet to, to put up this blockade at the edge of the neutral zone. Can you imagine um, uh, the United States in 2014 putting a whole bunch of ships, you know, like on the right up next to the border of, of, of the Soviet Union? <laughs> uh, I, think they would, I think they would find that rather provocative, even if it was wholly legal to do so, as long mm-hmm. as they stayed in neutral waters. Um, so this is a pretty ballsy thing that he's asking for here. And, uh, you know, he has to uh, he has to be 100% with that. Um, and he is, and obviously it works out, but I kind of like some of those ideas, too. Mm-hmm. Well, how, right. Star- how Star Trek mirrors the real world, even today. <laughs> Uh, All right, uh, let's do um, Six Degrees for Redemption 2, which technically it does say that, right? It says Redemption 2, not Redemption Part 2. I I had Part 2 when I was doing my stuff. I don't recall, honestly. I think on the screen it's one of those, I think it actually says 2. But anyway, uh, gosh, um, Caesar, you started off the discussion, so how about you take the first question? All right. Fran Bennett plays Fleet Admiral Shanti, the admiral that Picard convinces to allow Starfleet to create a blockade to stop the Romulans. In J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, she played a midwife overseeing a baby's birth in a deleted scene. Who was the baby? Would that be Spock? You are correct, it was Spock. Um, That one I figured... Depending on how you look at it, that was either a very easy question or a very difficult question. <laughs> well, I remember um, the, the girl who delivered um, Kirk had really large eyes. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Steve, Michael Haggerty plays Captain Larg, the Klingon that, despite having sided with the Duras family, can share a drink with his enemy, Kern. In Next Gen's seventh season, he played Skoran a blacksmith that was unwittingly poisoning his community, causing Data to come to the rescue in the episode, Thine Own Self, how was he poisoning everyone? Hmm. Gosh, I only vaguely remember this. Um, I don't recall. Mr. Caesar? So he's a blacksmith. So he's working with metals. I don't know. Was he giving them lead poisoning? No, I can't give you that one. 
you're close, but I don't think you're quite close enough. Uh, it was radiation sickness. He was using metal fragments from a Starfleet probe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Radiation, radiation sickness, radiation poisoning. All right. Uh, Caesar has one. Moving on. Darmok, Season 5, Episode 2, Production Number 202. Original air date, September 30th, 1991. Directed by Winrick Colby. Story by Joe Minoski and Philip Lazebnik. Teleplay by Joe Minoski. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Richard Allen as Tamarian First Officer. Colmini as Miles O'Brien. Paul Winfield as Dathan. Ashley Judd as Robin Leffler. And Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> The Enterprise receives a signal from the children of Tama, an alien race that has no history of violence, but whose language has been deemed incomprehensible to humans. Hovering above an uninhabited planet, Picard and the crew hope to establish relations with the Tamarians. Damak and Jalad on the ocean. So Kaf, his eyes open! The beast of Tanagra. Uzani, his army. Shaka, when the walls fell. Oh man, I love do I love this episode. I'm sure we all do, and we're gonna talk about it. Um, I'm glad we talked about it. I, I love this episode. This episode to me is it's the quintessential hour of Star Trek. Everything I love about Star Trek is in this episode. Everything that can be good and right and perfect about Star Trek is in this episode. I, I think this episode is is beautiful. It's it's a beautiful message about communication and peace, you know, and overcoming differences um, in the interest of of being able to communicate with those that are different. And and it's 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 perfect. I I, I love 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 this episode. And the other thing is. All of these things are true, but it's really a Star Trek episode. You know, like, I think some of these things I'm saying, maybe I could say about, I don't know, we're going to talk about The Inner Light later this season. The Inner Light is the is, an, is the, one of those go-to episodes, like, you know, The Visitor on DS9. You know, you played a non-Star Trek people. Um, this is like a full-on Star Trek episode that that has all those same qualities. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, it's such a rare, special thing. This episode, um, I think of it. I think of it like, um, like Devil in the Dark from the original series. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just this quintessential hour of Star Trek, and it's uniquely next gen as well. Um, I could talk about this thing for an hour, so I will let one of you guys jump in here. Yeah, this is one of those times where we have three straight episodes that are pretty all pretty good, so we might go over today. Is that what you're trying to tell us, Brian? <laughs> no, I'm, I I thoroughly enjoyed this episode when it came out. When it first came out, I enjoy seeing it when it's on, when I'm flipping through the channels. It, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Brian. It's definitely an episode that I think for at least the three of us um, that we or I'm speaking Stephen hasn't mentioned if he likes it or not, but I'm assuming he is. He does that. It, you're right. It has all the Star Trek elements in there. It's about you know coming together, working to find differences, and they do it in a kind of a unique way. I was kind of thinking if, if it would still hold up to me when I started watching it, because you know the Tamarians they obviously speak in metaphor, and 
it, it, I was just curious if it would still hold up for me, and it did. And just the way they were able to write that and put that together um, was really kind of unique and interesting, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely in my top ten next gen, probably top five next gen um, episodes, and and one of the yeah, definitely up there in the best Star Trek episodes in general. Um, yeah, I just kind of what all you guys have said. It's it's. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing. It's hard to find criticism with it. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's definitely a clear message. There, the performances are great. I mean, uh, you know, we'll we'll get into the details here, but like, uh, you know, Paul Winfield in that role. I mean, uh, it's you think about the behaviors, like speaking that way, and some of the behaviors mm-hmm. he does are so alien and bizarre. Yet, I never, I always buy it. I never, it's never like strikes me as like how bizarre is this? Whatever he's doing there, you know, it it just seems like a natural thing to him. Those kinds of things and picard too let yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's there's scenes around the campfire like the scene where picard tells the story of gilgamesh that's that's like my favorite scene in the whole episode and that's that's patrick stewart mm-hmm. doing picard telling an you know an mm-hmm. ancient ancient story yeah uh that we've all heard a million times there's really nothing unique that i'm learning in that scene <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. my favorite scene in the episode of a great episode of a, uh, of a great episode you know with lots of great scenes mm-hmm. and it's because of his performance yeah, you know, and 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 while we're on the subject of those scenes, I think that's an, a very interesting thing they did here too. Was the notion of this kind of bonding is beginning, you know, around a campfire on top of it, <laughs> you know, with the language and so on, and so you can't help but feel. It, it you know it feels like this this is a beginning because this is this is this has been going on for uh, millennia upon millennia mm-hmm. in our history you know this is what you do you you know uh, groups around campfires and telling stories and so on there's just there's a lot here you know but these little details you know enhance but I think you get that yeah like like <clears throat> even if you literally did not speak the language if you were sitting there mm-hmm. and you, you know you try to imagine watching Picard telling the story of Gilgamesh. The way he's speaking, his hand motions, his hand gestures, I think you would get, you would actually get some of it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, it made me think about, um, um, I've, I've lived with um, somebody not from this country for quite a while now. She's from Serbia. And um, it makes me think about how much we actually do speak in metaphor. I mean, I'll say something to her till this day, and she's been here 20 years now. She don't, she'll have no idea what I was talking <laughs> about mm-hmm. because it's you have to be – like they were talking about, you have to – it's a visual communication because – that's where the region we came from. So you kind of underst- you understand the the visual and the feelings behind that, even though it makes no sense if you didn't know the backstory of what you're saying. So we do that a lot today. Even on this planet, we speak in metaphors, and we don't understand what somebody's saying just because of these 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 are language barriers that are actually real in our society mm-hmm. that are well, portrayed in this episode. That's one of the things that's easy to take for granted in this episode. So, Joe Manoski, right? That's mm-hmm. who wrote it? Yeah. Joe Manoski's script is so good here. Um, he gets around the, uh, the, the, the universal translator in a way that I yeah. never could have imagined, right? Yeah. So, what happens here kind of makes sense. It's a universal translator. It's translating the words, um, but without the context. It can't translate context, and nobody's... It's it's one of those things that seems so obvious that you're like, why didn't anybody ever do this before? But nobody ever did it before, you know? Mm-hmm. He came up with this. Um, and then, of course, to make this work, he had to write all these 
the equivalent of Juliet on her balcony, mm-hmm. but for a completely made up, you know, um, foreign entity. Uh, and, and, and it's such a simple thing, but so smartly gets around the universal translator and, and this idea of speaking in metaphor. Um, it, it's really, it's really an incredible, incredible script. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so easy to take that for granted, I guess, when, uh, you, you know, these brilliant performances make you forget that it was written. Yeah, and to, and to the credit of both the writing and the performances, I found myself watching it kind of kind of like even wanting to know more about it. You hear these phrases, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think, I'd like to know that story, you know, even though there is no story. It's just a phrase, mm-hmm. you know, but, but right. it made you want to know more. And I, I would go even further to say that, to me, I think as a, you know, we're, we're – you know, we're spending all this time and years now talking about a, a television show and going into uh, essentially it's storytelling and what kind of meaning we can get out of it. So I think that's why people that are big fans of, of the show and perhaps fans like we are can can find so much in this episode because that's what it, that's that's the core of it, right? It's the notion of the meaning of stories, and we have a an alien race that. It's 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 hard to even fathom for us what they must the meaning they must assign to stories so beyond what we do that their whole language is based around it and so it's yeah. it's there it's yeah it's daunting <laughs> I I actually oh yeah well Caesar and I went to the same college that's where we uh, met um, I don't know if you had this same class but I had a it was like an it was some kind of an English class, but for whatever reason, we met in the. Gosh, we met in the, um, in the radio, television, film building, and the teacher played us this episode. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, wow. um, that we were right for the new building was built. That you know, remember the screening room? It was in the new right. building. I remember that. I remember that clearly. Watching it in all its like VHS glory on this huge screen. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, at the time, I was like. You know, pretty nuts, excited. Oh my God! There's a teacher in college playing his writing up. So, so <laughs> a lot of other kids like left, but not me. <laughs> anyway, it, it it you know, and I've heard of other places doing that, other other schools doing that too. You know, it, it, it does speak so much to not just the concept of of metaphor, but to like you were saying, Steve, this this concept of how storytelling is a part of our culture and in a way defines our culture. Um, the, the stories we tell, the way we tell them. Um, and of course, yes, in this culture, it's, it's taken to such an extreme where it's the only form of communication. Um, it's, it's, it's fun to think about how like that, how that, would evolve over yeah. a millennia yeah. or something, right? Because at some point it had to be some other form or something, you know? Um, but that's, that's that's kind of fascinating, too. But yeah, I wish somebody would do, like, a write out the equivalent of Gilgamesh, but with Dharmak and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, this is one of those other things, too, where we, and we've, I know we've talked about this before, but the absolute, not just the best or the good, I mean the best of the best, the cream of the Star Trek crop. Those episodes are the ones where when you're talking, just in the act of talking about the episode, you're talking about what it's about, and you cannot possibly yeah. separate yeah. them. Yeah. There's no question the kind of themes this episode is is, is discussing. Um, you know, and we talk about all this stuff, but you know what else this episode has? 
space battles, monsters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's why I said it's it's like the quintessential hour of Star Trek. It's got it's got that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and you know, talk about heroic captain performances. I mean, so Patrick Stewart walks onto the bridge at the end of this episode and and you know, he's not fighting somebody physically. He's not telling people to fire phasers. Yet it's it's one of the most his- heroic performances of a captain in Star Trek to come up there and then carry on dialogue in this language yeah just like yeah yeah just like if someone was blowing something up or you're you know beating up an alien or something i don't know what it's just it's it's i I, you know i I found it moving it was it was a leather it was a leather jacket wasn't it steve yeah i I, I just really like that jacket yeah (laughs) you know it's the best costume in all of star trek ever well, the jackets in Star Trek Two were pretty good too. But anyway, um, but yeah, no. What you—that's the exact kind of thing. I, I'm not kidding when I say that the the one word I use to describe this episode to me is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That and that's a perfect example too of him coming in there and when he when he speaks and 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 this this communication breakthrough. It's, look at that. It's it's happened and and it's just it's beautiful. But it's funny you mentioned that too because uh, yes, this is one of those few episodes I played for my spouse, and uh, the first thing she kind of brought up was the difference between Picard and Kirk. <laughs> Imagine Kirk in this episode. <laughs> the second they got to the surface, he would have just taken the knife and stabbed Dathan, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, t- now, as you're dying, tell me tell me what's, why you're here, what's going on. <laughs> now, there, now there would be a funny parallel universe series or something for comic yeah. books or something. It's like, what if what if this guy was in this episode, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, so then, of course, you'd have to put Picard in arena with the Gorn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's not fair. Kirk, Kirk did try to communicate with the Gorg. It just wasn't very successful, and then he decided to throw a rock at him because he couldn't talk to him. <laughs> Explosive rock. That'd be a, that'd be a nice back to back in some kind of novel. <laughs> be awesome. Yeah. Roll reversal there. <laughs> uh, so I guess we are hitting on um, what it's about. Like I said, we can't really divorce them. Um, heck, I I even like the I don't know if it's a sea story or what, but um, Troy and um, oh yeah yeah Data they're you know figuring it out and stuff. It's it's very it's very satisfying. It's another thing it's got it's got that mystery element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sense of discovery that's that's so wonderful uh, about a good Star Trek hour. <sighs> Yeah, Picard and Dathan at El Adril. Yeah, doesn't get better than this. See, like I, I uh, say, so season three was so so much better than I remembered it, and so good. But if season five, even if all the episodes, <laughs> if season five has Darmok and Inner Light and Chain of Command Part Two. That's in this season, right? Uh huh. Season five has all that. That's all it needs. <laughs> And plus, Brian, we didn't mention this episode has Ashley Judd in it. So yes, better first appearance of uh, Leffler, who I thought was in a whole bunch, but I looked it up, and am I right? Maybe she's only in a couple. I think so, like two or three Why top, right? Yeah, the one she think... features more prominently in a few episodes from now. Yeah, the it. game. Yeah. West. Why did I think she was in so many more? Mm, Ashley Judd, I guess. Yeah, I know. It's Ashley yeah. Judd. Oh. Because Ashley Judd. No, I remember. <laughs> God, I do not remember which one it was. Maybe I've told this story before. One of the talk shows, it was Jay Leno, David Letterman. It was one of the big ones at the time. And this is a, I don't know. This is a few years back whenever she was really big 
like movie star and all mm-hmm. the big things. and and uh, he was kind of beating around the bush the interviewer he was um kind of leading up to you realized what he was kind of getting at was he wanted to make fun of her for having been in star trek mm. and he wanted and, and and he was kind of the way he was talking about it, and they like showed a clip, which was not what she was there for or something, you know. And I think that the rise he was trying to get, what he expected for was for her to be like, you know, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but she immediately, she was like, oh, no, it was a fantastic experience. It was one of the best experiences I had. It really helped me out getting started in this town. And it should, she immediately said all these great things. It just shut him down. <laughs> um, I've never forgotten that. And that has always endeared her to me, so I like her for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It'd be fun to see her return to the Star Star Trek universe. I think somebody asked her that a year, re- relatively recently, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. She seems like she's not doing as much these days. Well, who knows? So that, that way, they they could get her for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so. Boy, I love this episode. It's just beautiful. And it's as good as as any Star Trek episode. Fantastic. Um, let's move on to Six Degrees for Darmok. Let's see. Caesar has one. Steve, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Paul Winfield plays Captain Dathan, the Temerian that spends a couple restful days planetside with Picard. In Star Trek II, he played the captain of the Reliant, who gets the worm in his ear with mm. check off. Name his character. Captain mm. Wet. Yeah. Um, you don't have to give me his first name. I don't recall. Mr. Caesar? Is it Captain Terrell? You are correct. It was Captain Terrell. And the reason I would remember that is because I can always hear Ricardo Maltabon saying, Kill him, Terrell! <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that whole scene in the underground tunnels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, burned into my memory forever. And I did not know his first name is apparently Clark. Huh. I had looked that up. I didn't know that. All right, uh, Caesar has two. Caesar Richard Allen plays the first officer of the Tamarian uh, Tamarian vessel in Next Gen's third season. He played Kentor in the Ensigns of Command. In this episode, how does Data convince the settlers to evacuate? He um, he destroys their water source, right? Or phasers some of their water source or power source? He fires his phaser. Mm-hmm. All right. Three, nil, moving on. Insun Row, Season 5, Episode 3, Production Number 203. Original air date, October 21st, 1991. Directed by Les Landau. Story by Michael Piller and Rick Berman. Teleplay by Michael Piller. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren, Scott Marlowe as Keeve Falor, Frank Collison as Dolak, Jeffrey Hyenga as Orta, Harley Vinton as Collins, Ken Thorley as Mott, Cliff Potts as Kennelly, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. After a terrorist attack on a Federation colony on Solaran 4, the Enterprise crew receives a message from a man claiming to represent the Bajoran, a race which has been fighting to regain its home planet after being chased off by the Cardassians. Picard is immediately ordered by Admiral Kennelly to negotiate with the Bajorans. Picard is also ordered to command and Ensign Rowe, a strong-willed Bajoran Starfleet officer, recently released from prison by Kinley to help with the crisis. I'm fully aware of your Starfleet record. 
of your problems in other ships, and the incident at Garon II that led to your court-martial. And I'm concerned about your presence on this delicate mission. I don't want to be here any more than you want me to be here, sir. Ensign Rowe. Steve, mm. would you like to start us off on Ensign Rowe? Sure. Um, this is, I think this is memorable for a number of reasons. Of course, the obvious thing that introduces the uh, character of Ensign Rowe, who is one of the more interesting secondary characters, certainly on Next Gen. Um, and also, in the grand scheme, it, it sets up... You know, Deep Space Nine. Really, we've uh, you know we've seen the Cardassians before, but we now we get this Bajoran and Cardassian backstory thing, and so on and so forth. Some of the details don't entirely jive with what we get used to later in Deep Space Nine, but um, you know, obviously, it's important for that uh, for that. And uh, you know, Ensign Rowe is interesting. The Rowe Guinan thing is interesting. Um, you know, it has something to say. So I enjoy this overall. Yeah, I, I kind of. I was watching this episode. I kind of looked at Ensign Rowe. She she's kind of like the anti Wesley Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> she's a girl. She's pretty damn good looking, and um, she really bucks authority. Um, so it's it, she's definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch this season. She's only in the fifth season, right? She didn't make it to the sixth. I can't recall. No. I thought she stuck around a little bit. I don't recall for sure. Yeah, yeah I'll have to look that look that up. Um. Yeah, now you got me wondering. Okay, you guys vamp for a second. I'll check. All right. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, then there's Mott. Uh, and there's an interesting character introduction as well. And uh, uh, poor, Be- poor Beverly. She had. <laughs> yeah, he was a like, great dancer. You know, she gets immediately shot down. Yeah, this right. guy won't ask you to dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that I tell you that that kind of thing does get a little tiresome. Is the um, that negativity, which you know, it's part of the character, but you know, it's how how far do you take it before it's like, oh my gosh, just enough, yeah. you know, when someone just kind of is so jaded that it just runs in the ground, you know. I guess we'll find out with episodes coming up, but I, I this is kind of like the only time where she's this jaded. I mean, I think right. she's she's gonna buck most people most of the time, but I think. Um, Mm-hmm. She kind of softens up a bit. Right. Well, it's character development, certainly, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's mostly season five, but she is in six and seven. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's that it's a little bit maybe heavy-handed by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Like the way that maybe the way she's treated, you know, it's a little bit on the nose. Um, but you got to... I this one I'm trying I'm trying to give him some credit and thinking about it at the time because mm-hmm. even just having a character with this level of like innate conflict yeah um is still different from the Roddenberry vision yeah mm-hmm. so uh this was really a big step for them and they at the time if you read the literature the, the interviews from everybody involved at the time introducing this character it was a really big deal and they felt like they were really stepping out and they weren't sure if they were going too far maybe they you know they weren't sure if the fans were going to take the character and then when the fans liked the character so much and pretty much all embraced the character so much uh they felt like they had been incredibly successful mm-hmm. um by today's standards it's a bit it's a bit tame, I guess, but um, um, the one time. the one thing I would have I would have liked to seen in this episode, and I can't recall if we get it later on down the road, is um, 
a little bit more backstory about why she was court-martialed, what kind of went down there. It kind of, to me, it just kind of got glossed over when she's explaining it to Guinan. You know, I disobeyed orders, people died. Um, I don't know, I just kind of would have liked to have gotten a little bit more about that, why there was such such a animosity and hatred to her. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously people make mistakes. It's obvious, I mean, I wouldn't think that it wasn't something that she'd done purposely, so I don't understand quite the vehement dis- dislike for her from everybody on the ship. I always thought that would have been an interesting follow-up, you know, episode two, is, is to run into somebody involved with that or whatever, and you get a little more backstory because of that, and yeah. Yeah, we definitely get more of her past, but I'm not sure if we get that exact story yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. remember that. Um, what I find interesting about this character... I don't know. Compare to Paris, maybe on Voyager. There's another character, so yeah, you know, he was Starfleet, made some mistakes, got sentenced uh, to prison, and then kind of uh, pardoned if he'd come back into service and stuff. You know, and that's that character. Paris is a little bit more the norm, and Rose a little different, and that's what I kind of like about Rose. I like that she's. Um, even though these other people have all made mistakes, but they all really do inherently feel that that the Federation is like a perfect entity, you know? Right. She does not really think that. She is empathetic to the Bajorans, or excuse me, the Bajora. <laughs> um, she, she really is. And, uh, spoiler, um, well, as I remember, remember everybody, this show is, we, we, we assume you've seen everything the way we're talking. So, um, if you remember how she ends on this show, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not exactly um, the Starfleet way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I like well, when she she builds this relationship with Picard. Obviously, she's you know, in a lot of ways, I can Picard is a, a father figure to her, like he is kind of to Worf. Not really a father figure, but I mean, you know, a, a strong. A strong, almost I don't know, a father's too far parental. Where you know, he he guides. Like Worf, he guides Worf through his trials and tribulations in, in his in his life. He kind of does the same here for Roe and Um and you know, and then regardless, you know, we we all know what happens to her at the end. But she deeply cared for what for him for what he did for her, and that's and that's what you get between now and then before she leaves. Yeah, but it, it is genuine. You know, she's always doing what she feels is. Um, right, right, but she doesn't use the the Federation guideposts as much to determine that. You know, it really is kind of her gut more than anything. And if that overrides some Federation stuff, so be it. Um, that sort of thing is ultimately doomed to failure in Starfleet, unless you are at least a captain. <laughs> you know, um, and if you're an admiral, of course, they're all corrupt. You can do whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, my spouse uh, also made a reference to this episode, like the admiral being uh, corrupt, and then I had to say, "Yeah, um, that's Most like our our running joke on our podcast is that <laughs> there are no good admirals. Once you're an admiral, <laughs> you're either an idiot or corrupt." Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> well, in this case, he would be more of an idiot because he got duped, right? Sure, sure. He didn't. Play. No, he's 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 the rare both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> Two for two. Um, you know, I like that too, but it, it, there is a little bit of a scent. Forbes is so good as Roe, 
And the character of Roe is so interesting, and you want to watch this character, especially, especially mixed in with our next-gen crew. Like, yeah. if it was just Roe hanging out with Bajorans, that sounds really boring. <laughs> yes. You know? But she, she illuminates our main next-gen characters mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a fascinating way, because in, a, in a way that we've never had before. Um, so all this is true, and, and the character is so interesting. She makes our normal character, our regulars, so so interesting. We get to see these other facets, and that's going to be way even more true as in, in future episodes. But um, that about two thirds the way into the episode, I'm a lot less engaged. Uh, once it gets to the more like the plot kind of stuff with the yeah. other ship and the Cardassians and all that stuff, and that stuff is good. It's just not nearly as it doesn't hold my attention nearly as much as just watching. Um, well, it's kind of the B story. If there is a B story in this episode, I mean, yeah, because the, the episode is titled correctly. It's Henson Row. It's about her. And obviously mm. we're spending a good portion of this segment talking about her. Well, I guess, yeah, something else, because Steve, you mentioned it at the first, um, I'm just going to reiterate it, uh, which is pointless, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Uh, see the the continuity thing in this episode is really fun. Um, mm-hmm. I always assumed, in retrospect, that this episode was an intentional setup for DS Nine. My research kind of implies maybe it kind of wasn't. Like they were they were they, they were definitely thinking about it and talking about it now, but I don't think they realized just how much of this was going to be DS Nine setup until later. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Which stands to reason, given when DS9 started, I mean, in relation to Next Gen, that was quite a, there's quite a bit of time passed, really, still, you know, I mean. It's like two years, basically, before. Yeah, at least a year and a half or something. You yeah, know, a year and a half. If, yeah. if it would have been a half a year or even a year, you could have bought that, okay, they were thinking ahead to that, but I don't know, a year and a half. Yeah, it doesn't, on, on the surface, it doesn't seem like this is such a grand setup for a seven-year television show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is. Mm. Of course, they, they offered um, Kira's character on DS9 was originally Roe, mm-hmm. and they offered it to Forbes, and she turned him down. Um, I always wondered if she regretted that. It's not like something anybody would ever admit to, I guess. But yeah, oh, I thought it was she was offered Voyager. No, no, she was offered she was offered DS9, and and her character when she turned it down, they wrote they rewrote the character to be a slightly different mm. militaristic female Bergeron named Kira. Um. <laughs> I guess then what I guess we never really learn what happens to her after she leaves I guess you kind of have to assume that what was it in some time in Voyager when we hear about all the Baki being killed mm, no. I assume somebody picked that up in a novel Steve, Pro- no? probably but I, I, I'm not aware of it yeah she, um, she she went to an alternate universe where she commanded a Battlestar ship <laughs> and was very nasty <laughs> What was the name the of Pegasus, the Pegasus? The Pegasus. Was, that's right, Pegasus. And she was a very nasty admiral. She wasn't an idiot, or that was like the best, one of the best, like cliffhangers Battlestar Galactica had was that mm-hmm. Pegasus cliffhanger. Oh my god, that was amazing the way it ended with the battle starting. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Love that show. Um, yeah. Uh, mm, so we're mostly just talking about Roe, and that's fun. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no dancing. 
Well, we get a little bit more insight into the Cardassians. How they um, they're kind of um, they're kind of similar to the Romulans. They're mischievous fellas that like to play political games and bring you know. So we learn a little bit more about the Cardassians from this episode. You know, in hindsight, you know, we already know all this, but at the time, you know, we really didn't know a whole lot about the Cardassians. So, yeah, I think this uh, this this episode, the script was originally the Cardassians. Uh, they were uh, the Romulans. And if I remember correctly in my research, it was Rick Berman that suggested uh, we've seen enough of the Romulans. How about swapping him out with the Cardassians? Um, so mm-hmm. he did have some some long-term insight sometimes. Although Darmok, that script, he famously wanted them to scrap mm-hmm. <clears throat> because he thought it was going to be crappy until the last minute. Um, so how does this episode rate? I think, well, I guess we'd all say Darmok's the best episode for the day, but where do you put, you know, I guess I'd rather watch Ensign Row again than Redemption. And the only reason I can give for that is just the character stuff. Yeah, like we didn't talk too much about the, the Roe Guinan things, but I mean, those are, those are well, probably the best scenes in this episode, yeah? Yeah, well, we're accustomed to Guinan doing that with a lot of different crew members, mm-hmm. so. It's not. Um, it, even, it wasn't necessarily a new thing. But the difference here is, um, this character had no concept of no concept of family. This character had no concept of stability, or you know, sticking around, forming any sort of relationships. Um, you know, I think Guinan puts those ideas in her head. That's I love that. That's like my favorite line in the episode when Jordy says she doesn't even belong in the uniform, <laughs> and Guinan says, "Really? Sounds like someone I'd like to know." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. It's a great line. Well, the funny thing about it is we get a little backstory on Guinan and Picard's relationship in this episode. She actually mm-hmm. talks about that a little bit. I mean, it's yeah. kind of vague, but you get a little bit there. Well, I laugh out loud the scene whenever uh, Guinan escorts Roe. Uh, to Picard's room, and he says, "Hey, she's supposed to be in locked in her quarters. Like, she she can go back when she's done talking." To you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, now, your kids work it out. I'm gonna go make some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those little rascals! <laughs> uh, all right, are we done talking about this one? Oh, wait, no, no. What's it about? Shoot. <laughs> PG podcast. I said shoot. Uh, what's it? What's it about? Well, I, I don't know. I think, for me, you kind of were talking about the uh, Roe Guinan stuff, and I and and you know Picard develops a relationship with Roe, and uh, there's a whole to me there's a whole lot of showing faith in somebody. You mentioned that she doesn't know family and this kind of thing. Well, sometimes people just need to be listened to, and uh, you know have some. They need to have someone put some trust in them, so they know, so they can reciprocate. You know, I think the, a lot of it's about. Uh, feeling like you belong to something, you know, belonging, and and once that kind of bond is established, it creates this trust. Yeah, I agree with Steve's points on that. Um, I would also say this episode. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier that this episode sets up quite a bit in the um, you know, the Star Trek universe. It sets up obviously Ensign Rowe, who we all enjoy as a character and actor on the show, and sets that up, and then it obviously it sets up um, DS Nine. So. It's um it's important to the um the arc of the Star Trek franchise mm-hmm. in that way as well. It's so funny that I 
I've talked about this before too, but I I have such a hard time like reimagining. I don't know, like see, some movie. I don't know, uh, The Matrix. It was originally you know Will Smith, and he turned it down, and so it was Keanu Reeves. And I just I I can't go back. It's hard for me to imagine that as having as being any good whenever I like the other product so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. and and of course these some of these things could have been good, but I just I don't have the ability to. If I loved it this one way, it's hard for me for me imagine for me to imagine myself loving it any other way. It's hard for me to imagine um, DS Nine with with um, Ro mm-hmm. instead of Kira. That if I try to imagine it, it's always bad. It's mm-hmm. like never as good as what we got. Mm-hmm. But that 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 really isn't fair. Uh, but <laughs> I just I I can't I can't imagine um, something like duet between yeah. You know, and I like I like Michelle Forbes. I think she's really good. But oh, I think you know what I remember. Voyager wasn't James Edward Olmos. Wasn't he offered a part in Voyager? I thought I heard that story. Maybe I'm going back to that. Can you imagine James being Chakotay or something. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> that. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, okay, let's move on to six degrees for Ensign Rowe. Adam has three, so. Probably not a big chance for you to take it, Steve. Probably no chance. Probably <laughs> no chance. Uh, Adam, Jeffrey Hayenga plays Orta, the disfigured Bajoran terrorist who decides Picard ain't all bad. In Enterprise's second season, he played the Vulcan doctor Eurus in the show's HIV allegory when T'Pol contracts a mind disease. Name the episode. Uh, the, AIDS, the AIDS episode that didn't have not, AIDS in it. I'm vaguely familiar with the episode, and you know, didn't they contract things like telepathically? Yeah, from doing like mind melt or something. Um, um I don't know, mind See, virus. Gave, no, I gave you the hard one because you're so far ahead. I figured you wouldn't care. <laughs> mind virus. No, uh, not. I don't recall. Was it mind meld? I don't know. No. You guys have mind viruses right now. It's stigma. Stigma. All right. Yeah. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. Ken Thorley plays Mott the Barber. Mm. Later in this season in Next Gen, he will play a card player that plays poker with Data in the episode Time's Arrow. When Thorley's character sees Data, he says he does not like Easterners. How does Data respond? He says, oh, I'm blank. I don't know. I'm not an Easterner. I'm South American. No, nope. I'm French. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good job, Caesar. I think that's t- that's two episodes in a row. All right. Uh, and very quickly, uh, Steve went to a a sci-fi show with an emphasis on Trek or a Trek show in Kansas City and I have asked him to give us a little report on it. He went mm-hmm. there uh, this is March 2014 you went there this past weekend? Yes, yes. Uh, yesterday actually given when we're recording this. And it's this uh, I don't know if this organization goes beyond Kansas City but they call themselves Planet Comic Con obviously a knockoff thing or whatever. But anyway they, they did this weekend long thing in downtown Kansas City um, where they had a number of actors coming in sci-fi and a lot of them were uh, next gen or from next gen and they did this thing as a totally separate 
ticketed event at the end of the episode, which is the only part I went to, where the entire cast of Next Gen, uh, minus Patrick Stewart, uh, was on stage together along with Will Wheaton. And then uh, John DeLancey also came on at some point as a surprise guest, and it was moderated by William Shatner. And uh, they just spoke for an hour and a half. Uh, it was mostly fed by questions from the audience, um, but uh, you know, Shatner kind of led him where he wanted to and stuff too. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really entertaining, and um, and yeah, a few things, different things came out that I never heard him discuss before. I haven't. There were very few of them. I, I think only maybe a couple of these people I had never seen in anything before live, but uh, I had never seen all of them. Together, like together, that. yeah, yeah. Any and, cool stories or anything they talked about? Anything? Um, I'm trying to think. Of, some of the more interesting things that came up. One was, um, and I, I guess I never really thought about this. Uh, maybe it's old news or something. But uh, someone, one, one individual from the crowd asked, uh, brought up to Brent Spiner that she was um, autistic and that she admired his portrayal. And apparently, there's and he and he and he relayed that there's apparently a strong community of those on the autism spectrum that, uh, you know, send a lot of uh, uh, praise to him and uh, like his character because they, they can relate to his struggles to find emotion and so on. And that was interesting. Um, there was, uh, they, they, someone asked a question, an individual who was a, a professor who taught a course at some regional college related to Star Trek, and he asked a, a fairly complex question about Gene Roddenberry's views on a certain author or something like that, and they they totally got off base with it and it got crazy. But they did get they did each um, go around and and talk about their relationship with Gene Roddenberry. Some of it was new, some of it was not. I was interested. I found it interesting how um, how varied the the responses were. I mean, you had all hmm. the way from Marina Sirtis, you know, visited them a lot because they practically adopted her. You know, she was not not from the U.S., and so they spent a lot of time with the Roddenberrys, uh, all the way to more than one actor saying they barely knew him. You know, Shatner, I mean, there's that's a little more documented, but he said really he didn't, you know, as long as they were, had off and on relationship, didn't have much of a real relationship with the guy to know him. Um, several of the next-gen actors were kind of the same same way, that it was a professional <laughs> relationship, but didn't, not much communication. Um Let's see, what else was there that was interesting? Of course, they're all very entertaining together. That's never changed from when I've seen them in a group of two or three on stage before. They're, they're cutting up and hilarious, and, you know, it's, 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 just, it's just a lot of fun. I thought it was a very well-balanced uh, panel in the sense that there was a lot of fun and entertaining. They, they all got along well and were cracking jokes, and they also hit on some larger points. Um, oh, there was, there was someone um, inquiring what they thought of the, you know, the J.J. Abrams Trek movies, and there were varying uh, responses on that. I know LeVar Burton in particular felt that while entertaining, they may have lost some of the uh, hope, vision of hope and that kind of um, feel that Trek as a whole got from Roddenberry. Um, Shatner had his views on kind of the... Um, financial side of it with that and so on. So, um, I don't know, it was, it was interesting. What do you mean, like the financial side? Well, how he, he believed... They had more money to make Yeah, movies. they had more money to make make a better movie kind of thing, um, which, you know, that's that's part of it. But uh, he had he referenced back to the movies he was involved with and 
of course, Star Trek five. And he, you know, he gets all like idiots <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with that thinking he didn't get the freedom he needed, you know, the, nothing new about that kind of thing, but with his stories on that, but the notion that, um, he did, you know, J.J. Abrams did things to appeal to the masses, but the uh, kind of the debate amongst the next-gen cast was, you know, there are positives in that in that it carries on Star Trek, but is there something lost in that that, that any future endeavors need to get back to and so on, which I thought was an interesting point. So, yeah, it was also cool because uh, my fiance Amanda, um, went with me. Uh, to the uh, to this convention along with my brother and his wife and and Amanda's parents were there and for Amanda and her parents they'd never been to any kind of convention of this sort so that was a a new experience for them uh, we certainly saw the people in costume and that kind of thing going on so you know it, it was a lot of fun yeah well that sounds awesome like how many people were how many people were there how big of a show was it well um I don't know about the convention as a whole. Um, it was a, it's a very large building, and a whole lot of stuff was going on in places I didn't go to. But this this exhibit hall, I mean, you know, it's you know, relation to the huge ones in huge cities, it doesn't compare. But it was a it's a pr- pretty big hall that was looked like it was sold out. I mean, it was you know. Uh, several sections uh, that went pretty deep, you know, and you needed like a, the big, the big huge screens for you to see what's going on on the stage way mm-hmm. up front. So, you know, it's pretty large and it looked to be sold out. So I was, I was, I was pleased with that. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I've got, um, I got passes for, um, I'm just, I'm not going to go to Comic-Con this year, but I am going to WonderCon next month. And last year they had some really great Star Trek panels. So I'm hoping they have some cool stuff, but they're sure as heck not going to have, um, you know, such a huge cast on stage together like that. That sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool. And that was interesting, too. I'd never heard that about, because, like, I've read um, Shatner's, uh, both of his bi- biographies, you know, about Star Trek. Um, he never really talked about that, that he didn't really feel like he, you know, was friends with or knew Roddenberry. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <sighs> well, folks, you're still listening to us. You're a trooper because this is a long one, but that's good because we're kicking off Next Gen Season 5 with so many great episodes and a good season uh, with a very enjoyable podcast. So thank you guys um, for listening, and thank you, Adam and Steve, for uh, talking Trek. And we're going to be back in two weeks to talk about the next three episodes of Next Gen. So until then, uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Companion. Our Twitter is uh, um, at Trek Companion, and you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. So until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.